0: Hey, this is Jenny Hatch, and this is episode five of Husband and Wife Home Birth Chat. We are live, and I am inviting some people to the show right now. Um, my guest tonight is going to be Lynn Grisimer, the author of Unassisted Home Birth, An Act of Love, and um, I'm just going to go down the list of my Followers and guests uh, and people I've interacted with here on Colin and invite you to the show. I think it'd be wonderful if you could all join in. And if not, that's that's okay too. Um, I've loved participating on Colin this past week. I found the time to participate on several shows and um, the diversity and topics of conversation are so diverse on this site. It has just been joyful to hear what all of you are interested in and um, what your shows are about. And I have just loved being a part of all of you. So thank you uh, for that. And um, I've just invited everyone. I'm trying to figure out how to go back to the room. I've invited to the room. Thank you. Okay, here we go. And there is Lynn. So, Lynn, welcome to the show. I'm going to make Lynn my co-moderator today. And um, we're going to start the show in about three minutes. So, Lynn, go ahead and unmic and just say hey, because we're still pre-show at this point. Um, And if anybody else joins in and you want to participate, just, um, you know, say the word. We want this to be a participative show. Lynn, how you doing?
1: Good evening. I'm doing great and I like your topic. I'm here to learn a little bit even though I've been through many pregnancies.
0: Well, I hope there's just some good information for everyone. My goal always is to just educate, but um, I have lots of good information on nutrition and that will be the focus of the show tonight. I am planning on doing a nutrition show every couple of weeks because in my personal opinion, it is the key to a healthy pregnancy, a healthy baby and a better birth. I won't say it's the the only principle with with childbirth, but it definitely helps. So um, two more minutes. We'll kick
1: off the live show. Lynn, how's your day going? My day is going great. I started it off with a, Swim, a very short swim at the beach, and a walk on the beach, and uh, swimming with a few friends. I, let's see, I don't really know what I did today. So that's good. It just means I was kind of living in the moment and I spent a little time in the kitchen. And every time I spend time in the kitchen preparing good foods, I feel better. I made a nice dinner that was like a salad with many different colors, with a tuna fish, with mayonnaise and relish in the center, so, I and I have a couple things, healthy things for tomorrow, but um, it's just been a good day because it's been, uh, I didn't accomplish much and just kind of relaxed. Good. That's awesome. Well, we're getting down to the
0: wire here with the seven o'clock hour. I like to be precise. So we will start the official show right at the seven o'clock time. Um, I am going to start with a 20 minute lecture and there you go. It's seven o'clock. So this is the Jenny Hat Show, and this is the husband and wife home birth chat on Colin. I am your host, and my special guest tonight is Lynn Griesmer, author of Unassisted Home Birth, An Act of Love. We're going to start the show tonight with a lecture. So Lynn, I've learned on Colin that if the guests and the people who are questioning will go ahead and mute their mics, and you're thinking ahead because you already did it, um, the sound quality is better than if we're talking over each other. So for this lecture portion, which will be about 20 minutes, I'm not going to be taking any questions. So here is my lecture. Now, I have shared this story many times. I've stolen it, borrowed it from my dear friend and mentor, Janine Pavardi Baker, who has passed on. She is one of the grandmothers of unassisted childbirth. And along with our dear mentor, Marilyn Moran, who was the author of Birth and the Dialogue of Love, which is available on Kindle, a fabulous book for any family that is interested in husband and wife home birth. These two women were our mentors, and they kind of passed the baton before they they moved on to some of us who were around at the time. Lynn was the first one to organize a conference for parents back in the day. It was like, I can't even remember 2000. No, it was like 1997, eight, it, 19. I can't even remember what we'll ever tell us. She comes back on. And then I organized the second conference in 2001. And at the first conference, Lynn and Marilyn was were the keynote speakers and then Marilyn died about six weeks after we had that conference so again just this passing of the baton of this movement from a woman who had kind of carried it on her shoulders for many years she wrote a newsletter sharing stories of husbands who are and wives who are giving birth alone and then she just kind of passed it along to lynn and then i stepped in in 2001 and organized the second conference And invited Janine Parati baker and her husband, Rico Baker, to come be the closing keynote speakers of our second conference. And that second conference is available on YouTube. And I have embedded it in my blog, the complete conference, all the speakers. Laura Shanley was our keynote speaker. And all those videos are at the top of my blog in the post that I put together as a resource page for husbands and wives. So, you can watch that conference. It's 20 years old, but it's fabulous. Anyway, Janine told me this story, and it's always kind of stuck with me. And it's how I finished my dissertation on motherhood. And so, um, this is just something I use as sort of a thinking outside of the box illustration. So, men, imagine that you are getting ready to be a father, and you're telling your friends and your family or So excited. Want to be parents. And you're informed that sometimes men die while they're having sex. Once in a while, a guy will pass away in the act from a heart attack or a stroke. And so he's just dead. And because of this fact, the people around you, society, and even certain money-making institutions have determined... That because of this fact that sex is so inherently deadly to certain men, they are going to apply this one standard rule for all men. It, it, it is that you have to conceive your children in the hospital. And while you're in the act of trying to conceive your child, you are going to be hooked up to monitors and observed and tracked and have people hovering over you to make sure that you're doing it right. And if you're not doing right, they will give you instructions on how to do it. And when that crucial moment comes and you experience what's known as erectile dysfunction, the people around you will say, oh, failure to progress. And you will be wheeled into an operating room where your sperm will be extracted from your body using surgery. So, I want you to just kind of muddle muddle over that for a little bit while I move into the nutrition side of my lecture. Why did I bring that up? Well, that is how it feels for some moms. I'm not saying everyone, some moms when we are told that because birth is so inherently dangerous for us and for our children that we need to go to the hospital to give birth and be observed and poked and prodded and messed with in every possible way while we give birth and if we don't do it in the timeline and in a way that's convenient to the staff and to the hospital we too are labeled failure to progress and are wheeled into an operating room where our babies are surgically removed from our bodies so again just kind of think that through as we're talking because It is my deeply held belief that the one thing you can control when you are pregnant, the one thing that has the mom has the most power over is, in fact, what she puts into her body every day. She is in absolute control of that one thing. As a mom, she cannot control her genetics. She cannot control whether or not she's had a healthy background or a sickly background. Those things may have been handed her to her by the choices of her own parents, her own lack of knowledge. But if she's pregnant and right here, ready to go to have a baby, the one thing that she can control that has the biggest impact on that baby is in fact her, her nutrition. And so it is the place where she has her power, and her authority, and it's my deeply held belief that how she seizes that power and authority over her pregnancy, that claiming of her birth, that effort that goes into crafting her child is the place where she should put most of her energy, this thoughtful, conscious awareness of her child. And that the moms who don't do that, you just kind of roll with the punches and let's see how it goes. Those are the moms who struggle and suffer with the lack of knowledge, with the just classic symptoms of pregnancy. Nausea, heartburn, constipation. These are maladies that can be prevented with good hydration. Just getting enough liquids into your body. I want you to think about a little baby inside your womb floating around in the amniotic fluid, and then imagine you diving into a swimming pool that's just filled with junk, dirt, debris, and you're trying to swim in this dirty water. The cleaner and clearer the amniotic fluid is for your baby, the better your pregnancy will go. And so that's why we tell pregnant women to avoid all sorts of toxins, paint and fumes, mercury, all the things that cigarette smoke that make people sick. Because you don't want you, you don't want to pollute that environment for your baby. And while it's great to stay away from all those things, it's even better to go one step further and really zero in on what's going in through the mom's mouth, through her nose. What is going into your body that can be nourishing and whole for your baby. So these are the questions that moms should be asking themselves as they're preparing to give birth. And when I taught childbirth in my home, one of the big things that we focused on was nutrition. And we had a, a nutrition segment every class and we taught the Brewer diet. So what is the Brewer diet? There was a man named Tom Brewer. who was a doctor in the South. I think he practiced in, Alabama or Mississippi, and they call this the the Toxemia belt in America, that southern belt of the country where there was just so much toxemia in mothers and so Tom went to work trying to figure out why so many of these mothers were getting toxemia and He worked with the poor class of women who tended to be field workers, and these women were were pregnant and they were out in the fields working in the sun, so number one they're they're getting dehydrated. But number two, because they were doing manual labor, uh, they would come home and they just just weren't hungry. They didn't want to eat because they're tired and it's hot. And so seven months pregnant hits and bam, they're down with toxemia. And many women died or their babies died. And so he went to work trying to figure out what what was the source of this and realized that they were malnourished and, and just needed some good food. And so he was set about doing the work of educating these moms. And what he found was the moms were happy to, happy to know the facts. Um, and so for his whole career, he wrote books, he did research, and eventually towards the end of his life, he actually had a hotline, a phone that any mother in the country, in the world, could call Tom Brewer and ask him questions about prenatal nutrition. And so... That was his great work. His contribution to the world of, of pregnancy is just nobody tops what Tom Brewer did. Now, interestingly enough, I had a conversation with a mom in a chat room a couple years ago, and I was introducing some of the pregnant women to the Brewer diet. And She came back at me and said, oh, the Brewer diet was designed to make mothers of premature babies feel guilty. And I was like, who would do that? Who, who would come up with a diet for pregnant women that would try to shame mothers who happen to have a premature child? Who is evil enough to want to do that? This man was out there trying to help. And yet that was how she had reconciled in her own mind. I had this premature baby. Oh, this doctor came up with this diet because he wanted me to feel bad about the way that my pregnancy went. It's crazy. It's crazy. But that was how she she couched it, and it, it kind of jolted me, but I thought, well okay that 's how she feels, but the fact is, this diet works; it not only helps you create a healthy child, it prevents toxemia, which is a disease of malnutrition. These are the facts now. I have a friend he 's a young student in a university getting his doctorate, and he told me. That one of his uh, fellow students just did his PhD on toxemia, 2021, just graduated. And the conclusion, after all of his research, is that there is no known cause for why women get toxemic in pregnancy, and that the only solution for them when they develop these symptoms of the headache and the swelling and the falling down, having seizures that all these women have, um, the only solution for them is to immediately rush to the hospital and have their babies taken out by surgery, put in a NICU because the baby will be better being in a NICU environment than in the mother's womb. It's safer for the baby and end of story. Now, I was not surprised to hear this because I have watched what has happened to the conversation around nutrition toxemia online but it still always kind of jolts me when i realize that this work by dr brewer and the organization called spun which is the society for the prevention of um something i can't remember what the u stands for through nutrition i'm embarrassed i can't remember that um The spun group that was so instrumental in educating me in the 80s, all of that work has somehow been hidden away enough that this young man with the Internet and all the connectivity that he can do, all the research he can do. He just couldn't quite find all the research that's already been done by someone like Tom Brewer and all the people who shared and and have done his work over the decades. So here we are today. And in America, about 10% of our mothers are having premature babies. Just a few years ago, I mean, like just 10 years ago, the number was 8% of mothers who are having premature babies. So in this age of technology and knowledge and research and everything's at our fingertips and we can get into the libraries of the, the great universities with our phones in this day and age the statistics are going backwards they're getting worse there are more mothers who are having premature babies than there were even just 10 years ago and so in my humble opinion i believe we are going in the wrong direction with our young moms in terms of their understanding of what it takes to grow a child inside her womb give birth to it, and come up with a healthy child. We're going in the wrong direction, statistically. So what is the answer? Well, in my opinion, it's nutrition. And if you will click over now to the the show page that I put in the header of this show, you will see that there is a link to my blog where I called it Colin Husband and Wife Home Birth Chat Nutrition for Healthy Pregnancy. And right at the top is an example of the brewer diet. And right below there is a nutrition worksheet that you can put on your fridge and print out and use it to track to make sure you get the foods on the list. Now, this is where we get into some awkwardness and discomfort with diet. And it comes from just this war that is happening right now in our personal lives and online and in various places over what to eat. And it is a war. Food is very personal to people and they feel so passionate about it. And the the person who's the rancher who's grown up in the beef and the dairy world, they're going to have their opinions on it. And then on the other extreme, you've got the vegan community. We know how to make healthy babies and And they're over there eating their veggies and their sprouts and their beans and they're making their babies. And and there's this no man's land in between of paleo and no gluten and this and that and what's best for pregnant women. And it's this war. And so your average mom's just sitting there going, okay, you know, I know how I was raised. I know how I've eaten my whole life. Why should I change anything? And my answer to her is don't, you know, if you're healthy and you're happy and you feel good about your life, there is no reason for you to change one thing about your diet. Proceed on. But if you would like to take it to the next level where maybe you have an older sister who struggled with toxemia and had a premature baby, or maybe you have a cousin or a friend who really struggled with her health during her pregnancy and had a lot of symptoms of toxemia, which heartburn, constipation, hemorrhoids, all of these things are indicators that something's off. And as you work through your pregnancy, you can, you can do things to, to make yourself feel better and get out of those situations and then be in a more proactive place towards the end of your pregnancy where you do have a greater need for protein and nutrients and liquids and it just, everything kind of expands. There's just a more of a demand on the mom's systems, especially her circulatory system. You need to do the things that'll just keep everything open and flowing while you're crafting your baby. So this diet, again, it, I believe it's for everyone in terms of the protein amounts that you need and the foods that you should probably be eating. But if you look at this Brewer diet and you say, I don't want to drink all that milk. I don't want to eat all that dairy and all that meat. That's okay. You know, there are variations you can do on this. You could even do a vegan uh Brewer diet, I did it with one of my pregnancies. my fourth child, I was really struggling with my digestion, and so I had to do some workarounds because my gallbladder was giving me so much trouble. I had a really difficult time eating fats, and so the moms who have gallbladder disease it is it is harder to process your foods while you're pregnant and so I ate a vegan diet because honestly, it was the only thing my body would would digest to make my baby, and so I drank a lot of protein shakes and you know just tried to eat as well as i could but at the end of the day i think you're a little bit healthier and stronger if you go ahead and eat those animal foods and again i know that's controversial i'm not trying to start a war over what's best for moms and babies your average mom who just has access to regular foods that she can get from the grocery store she's going to do better eating a, the two eggs and the quart of milk that we teach is the foundation for a healthy pregnancy. It gets you the protein you need, the salt you need, the, you know, just the, the foundational foods come with that quart of milk and two eggs. But, you know, I leave it up to you as individuals to, to seek out the diets that feel right to you. These resources are available if you want them. There is a group of moms on Instagram who have played around with their diets. They've eaten the paleo, they've eaten the vegan, and they've just, you know, experimented. And I'm one of them too. I've done this. I've done similar diets throughout the years. But what they've all kind of landed on as the healthiest and the, the strongest diet for moms is the one that's taught by the Weston Price Foundation. There's a great book called Healing Traditions that talks about what it means to eat traditional foods. And these are the foods that, you know, the generations throughout the ages have eaten. When you go back to the Bible, when Moses was being promised this land where they could go and just thrive. What are the words that the Lord used? A land flowing with milk and honey. What does that look like? Well, if you're out in the desert, you think rocks and it's barren and it's dry and there's just nothing growing. But the the children of Israel were taken to a land filled with milk and honey. So number one, that tells me there's some grass. There's some grass growing that the cows are eating to make the milk. And there's lots of blossoms, whether it's fruit trees or nut trees or the plants that grow their foods. There's lots of bees humming and they're making their honey. And it's just a place of abundance. So. This is the diet that will lead to an abundance of children, healthy children, and it's the one that I landed on as just being best for me. Um, So that means I try to get my milk, eggs, cheese, butter from organic and natural sources. Got a lot of traditional farmers here in Boulder, Colorado, so we can get our hands on these you know, farm fresh foods, which I love. And these are the nourishing traditions that, frankly, whole societies have been built on. And I reject the notion that a mother needs to starve herself as if she's living in the wilderness, (laughs) living on, you know, foods that really only you know, people who are in starvation situations would live on to grow their babies. You know, anybody who comes to you and says, oh, it's th- that butter, that milk, it's bad for you. You know, it's, it's not going to be healthy. I'm sorry. It's just not tradition. And to say that a mom needs to just, you know, eat her beans and her rice and the grains and that's enough. I just I don't believe it. I think you can come up with a baby. You can have a a pregnancy that goes 40 weeks. But if you want to step into that realm of just abundance, um, a little bit of butter, a little bit of cheese, some buttercream. These are the things that just sort of help your pregnancy to pop. And so that is the end of my lecture. Again, the resources are on my blog, JennyHatch.com tied to this show. If you'll click over from this show page, you can get the the links to the Weston Price Foundation, the Brewer Diet, which I've created in a meme, the whole diet's right in a meme, and then a printable nutrition tracker that will help you to see where you're at with your day-to-day diet as a pregnant mom. And when I was a teacher, I would have my students take this home and document their diet for a week and then see where they were at when they came back and has a protein counter and it helps you just kind of get a real good you know observation of where you're at the moms who took my class who refused to do this come to find out later most of them were fueling their pregnancy with uh sodas like coca-cola and diet coke and um that's how they would fuel their days. And then at night they would eat dinner, but they were in the habit of doing that, you know, probably since the time they were in college and they're just, you know, drinking their Coke or coffee, getting jacked up on that. And then, and then at night they'd eat their food. And I can tell you just by what I've observed and what I know to be true, that you will have a healthier pregnancy and a healthier baby. If you will step out of that world and get into, the three meals a day and snacks and just really nourishing your body. You will have a better pregnancy. That's my witness and my testimony. All right,
1: let's go back to my friend, Lynn. Lynn, what do you think of my lecture? It was excellent, and, I, and so many thoughts have crossed my mind. Uh, number one, what advice do you have to a woman who might be at 34, 35 weeks, maybe her diet hasn't been the greatest. Is there still hope for her? What should be some of her last ditch efforts as she comes to the end of her pregnancy? Well, this was one of my big frustrations as a teacher is that
0: most of the time I didn't cross paths with my students until they were in their like 35th, I mean, 25th week, you know? And so most of their pregnancy had already at least half had passed I did have a few who'd come to my early bird classes, which were in the first trimester. And I mostly talked about nutrition, but most of the people who took my class, I didn't, I didn't get my hands on them, if you will, until they were, so they were about 20, 25, 26 weeks pregnant. And so most of them were working full time. They were busy. Interestingly enough, I had a lot of professional people take my class, people who were doctors and um, scientists and just kind of the, the more educated slice of society or the people who tended to take my class and so they were busy you know they were working their their careers and um and it was difficult teaching them because they had certain notions about uh for example salt usage there were some who when i would talk about how you needed salt to um to make the baby they they were like well, i'm not going to salt my food you know salt's bad for pregnant women and it's like this was a huge hurdle you know to to overcome to educate them about you no know, the amniotic fluid has a lot of salt in it. You need salt to help expand your blood volume. As a pregnant woman, your, your volume expands. If there's not enough salt there, guess what? And, you know, it doesn't expand. So to overcome that, the thing that I would share with them was you know, you can always do better today. You know, Don't think about t- yesterday. You were doing as well as you could with what you knew. Now is the time to step it up. And if that means you need to cut your hours at work so you have more time to eat... Which I personally think is a great idea. You can go to halftime or part-time or quit your job and just decide to be a stay-at-home mom. Those are all good things, so um, number one, you want to to focus in on that hydration issue, getting enough salt, um, focusing in on your protein, making sure you're eating six small meals a day, have 20 grams of protein each. These are the the moms who do this do have better pregnancies, even if it's just for a couple weeks.
1: Good. Yeah, I, I would also recommend sea salt, a healthy salt, not iodized salt. Uh, well, iodized salt was, it came
0: into being because it was found that certain babies who were born, um, I can't remember the name of the disease, but it was, it was because they, their moms did not have enough iodine in their diet. And so the iodine was put in for those pregnant moms. But, you know, the salt thing is, is another war, you know out there on everybody's talking about interesting
1: it what what this conversation is reminding me is that we just need to do research we need to dig deep when we have questions and see what answers we come up with and I just want to say real quick that uh, I agree with you it's never too late to adopt a good diet it's best if you start early on obvious things avoiding cigarettes avoiding drugs avoiding alcohol And my downfall was sugar, desserts, cheesecake, sugar, cookies. On my third pregnancy, during my third pregnancy, I was seeing a doctor. I gave birth in a hospital and it was found that I had gestational diabetes. So the practice referred me to a nutrition. And I would get together with a nutritionist once a week and we would go over what I ate. She gave me ideas of what I could substitute. And it was a very positive experience. And it, it kept me on track. And for my sixth pregnancy, I did an um, unassisted pregnancy. And I know that my diet wasn't the greatest. I did give into a sweet tooth. I did have candida, candida, or however you say it, where I had a lot of vaginal itching. And I my legs swelled up a little bit. So I do know that um, my diet wasn't the greatest. And um, so, you know, you, you get what you, um, you know, your results will reveal what you've been doing. So, yeah.
0: And during my third pregnancy, I had heartburn so bad that I I just felt like I was dying and I would eat cucumbers to just try and help bring it down, you know, but, It was just this ongoing, persistent thing that was quickly resolved with my fourth fourth pregnancy once I became educated by my chiropractor about how difficult it is to stay well hydrated when you're living in the mountains. It's just just a truism that the higher up you go, the more demands there are on your body for just water, but you also need to have salt. And in the Himalayas, the the Sherpas who do the big tours, you know, with people going up to Everest, they will carry a little bag of Mm -hmm. rock salt with them, Himalayan salt. And with every cup of tea, they don't sweeten, they salt. They throw a hunk of of salt in there and and drink 20 cups of tea every day. And they're constantly salting their bodies because you have have to have that salt to be able to breathe up at the higher elevations. And so once once my chiropractor taught me that um I started salting my water with just a little bit of of Himalayan sea salt maybe like quarter teaspoon to half teaspoon and then I would put in some minerals just a little bit of ionic minerals a couple drops once I started doing that and drinking before I ate um everything changed for me and I I've never I never had heartburn again during my two my last two pregnancies and I I just don't suffer with it anymore. And heartburn is a sign of dehydration.
1: And for those who don't know what ionic minerals are, where can you purchase that? Where can you get that? My favorite brand is Young Living.
0: Uh, I've just taken their mineral essence for, gosh, it's like 25 years now. If you'll just go into a
1: health food store and ask for ionic minerals, they'll they'll point the way. Okay, that's great. Uh, One thing that you and I talked about, Uh, a year or two ago, you were very convinced that one reason why we have a high percentage of prematurity is possibly that women are dehydrated. So can you talk about that? Is it possible that uh, they're just not drinking enough water?
0: Yeah, I I really believe that. And I think what happens is the baby gets to that seventh month And during the seventh month of pregnancy is when the baby's brain is growing at its fastest rate during that seven and eighth month window, the child's brain grows at the fastest time ever before, or even after that, that brain is just going. And so there's just many demands on the mother's body for good nutrition. It's a time when you need to eat the most protein. You really need to, to zero in. And I think the best source of protein during that time is just eggs just eat your eggs. They're so great. There have been so many studies done on moms who eat eggs and the, the intellect of their children afterwards. And so you've got to get that food in there, but you also need to get the water because the water is what helps your body process the food better. And it just, you know, it all is just this synergistic system that if, if you can reach that place where you're just nourishing your body in a very thoughtful way, it's just like you reach this happy zone where you can prevent the most debilitating and dangerous diseases for both mom and baby, which of course include toxemia, but you can also, and toxemia is also called help syndrome. Just, uh, you know, there's different names for it. So you need to be aware of that. Um, and, and then you can, you know, build this brain, this baby that's so smart and then carry your baby full term. All of these things are so tied to nutrition. And, and when that baby comes early, it can still develop outside the womb. There's no question that healthy babies have grown after, you know, being born at at 20 weeks or 27 weeks or whatever, they can grow into healthy adults, but it, it definitely impacts them and slows them up. And it's, you know, why have a premature baby if, if you don't need to, you know, you can just do these simple, practical, I mean, this is common sense. Anybody who's had a pet who's had a litter of puppies or kittens or whatever, you watch that mother, she needs more food, she's drinking more water. You know, the animal kingdom understands these things. But at seven months, you got the mom, she's up painting the nursery, and she's getting together with all her girlfriends and going on trips. And it's like, no, during that seventh month, you stay home, protect yourself, protect yeah. your baby, drink, sleep, gentle exercise, swim, do yoga, rest, get ready for the work of birth and then the work of being a new mom. I, I get so frustrated when I see young pregnant moms just out there Just overdoing it, too much exercise, too much travel—it really takes a toll on the baby. And it's so sad when a mom's off having some vacation, and then she's at the high altitude experience of flying in a plane, and here's this baby. You hear it all the time, you know. These moms who go into labor when they're—I'm like, what were you doing on the plane in the first place? You should—you should be home. Exactly, home—that's where you're safest. Mm -hmm. what a great show I've enjoyed this do you have any other thoughts perhaps on um, what moms can do to to just you know the hardest thing to change is your diet we all love our foods we all love our our addictive foods have anything to share around
1: that the only thing is make small changes you know you don't have to be radically healthy during my first pregnancy, once a week, as I was working on my master's degree, driving, driving north to the university, I would stop by. I was a working woman. I would stop by Burger King and get a, uh, a whatever it was, a Whopper, a large fry. And I don't drink soda, so just a Whopper and a large fry. And I would eat that on my lap as I had to do my two hour drive or whatever, uh, up North. And I enjoyed it. That satisfied a craving, but that was just once a week. And I didn't feel that that was doing any damage. So, well, I mean, eat don't eat have healthy, to think eat healthy, but you don't have to be perfect.
0: Yeah. And you don't have to think if I'm eating food from McDonald's that I'm somehow harming my child. I also believe that's a lie. There's, there, there yeah. are people out there in the nutrition world who are just like, you know, oh, my gosh, you can't eat a Big Mac. That's going to hurt your baby. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not the best food. But you don't have to do everything organic and everything whole food nutrition to come up with a healthy child. There are some some purists out there who are so annoying. It's like, no, I can eat a candy bar. I can eat a hostess mm-hmm. ding dong. It's not going to kill my baby. You know, I remember during my first pregnancy, my husband and I bought a pack of Oreos. And we ate the whole pack in one sitting, you know, the two of us. It's like, my daughter's fine. She's smart. She's healthy. You know, we yeah. had an indulgence. Probably yeah. not the best choice I've ever made. Right. But, you know, it's, it's not like it's yeah. going to, you know, just completely ruin her my child's life. So, again, mm-hmm. common sense. Well, Lynn, I think we're winding down. I'm so glad you showed up. Unless you have anything else you want to share. That's it thank you my challenge to everyone is to just just try and do better just try and do better than you're doing today and you have a couple weeks where you live on junk food it's okay but you know you can always go back to that whole food nutrition and your baby and your pregnancy will just just be better all right thanks so much for stopping by i hope everyone out there is having
1: a great day